Let's give attention then to the reading of God's holy word. Genesis chapter 40. Hear God's word. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. The word of the Lord. What do you do with disappointment? I know a woman who told me about an experience that she had in high school. She fell in love with the foreign exchange student who came from Brazil. He was the handsome soccer player. He was the heartthrob of all the girls in the school. And she was the homecoming queen. She was a cheerleader, the perfect catch for this guy. They were crazy about each other. All of the other students in the school knew that they were right for each other. At the end of their senior year, they said their goodbyes to each other, but they promised endless love to one another. 
He said that he would go back to Brazil and finish medical school, come back to the States. They'd get married. They'd find a house. They'd have kids. And they'd live happily ever after. So she went off to college and he went back to Brazil. She wrote him a letter every single day. He wrote her not one. Until the letter came to her mailbox. The letter in which he said, I'm really not interested in you. You ever had your hopes dashed like that? Ever get your hopes up only to have them fizzle out? Everybody here can tell a story about disappointment. A story? What am I talking about? Many stories. Your fiancé broke off the engagement. You had a miscarriage. You got a bad performance review at work. You didn't make the soccer team. You see your husband staring at another woman in a restaurant. You lost your wedding band. Your car breaks down again. Your little boy gets an ear infection again. It might be big or little. It might be short-term or long-lasting. It might have been caused by a person or people or circumstances. But whatever the case, the question is the same. What are you supposed to do with disappointment? I'm sure Joseph asked that question. We're in a series right now on the life of Joseph. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I started a new sermon series. It's called From Prison to Palace. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph the rest of this month and all of the month of June. Let me give you a quick review in case you're new here. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 37. We found out that Joseph there is sold by his brothers into slavery. In Genesis chapter 39, we found out that he is bought by an Egyptian official, the captain of the guard. His name was Potiphar, and Joseph became Potiphar's attendant, or his his main slave, I guess you could say. Well, while in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife finds Joseph very, very attractive, makes advances toward him, tries to seduce him. He keeps refusing her, and she gets fed up and then frames him. She accuses him, Joseph that is, of trying to rape her. Potiphar, her husband, believes her story, accuses Joseph of that, and throws Joseph in prison. Well, now we're in Genesis chapter 40 that I read just a moment ago. Years have gone by since we left Joseph in chapter 39. In fact, Joseph is about 28 years old now. He's been in Egypt for about 11 years. Most of those years, he's been in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Eight or nine or ten years, it's a little hard to be exact, but a long time he's been there in this Egyptian dungeon. And nevertheless, we saw last week at the end of chapter 39 that God showed Joseph kindness or grace. And he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And Joseph was actually the model prisoner while he was there in Egypt. Well, you heard the story of Genesis 40. 
One day, uh, Joseph gets two uh, cellmates. Two guys get thrown into prison with Joseph. They are Pharaoh's officials. One of them is the chief cupbearer, and the other is the chief baker. I guess there wasn't a candlestick maker, but there was the cupbearer and the baker thrown into prison with Joseph. Um, These two guys had an important place in Pharaoh's cabinet. Now, we may not be able to relate to cupbearers and bakers today, but what they were were they were actually paid by the Pharaoh to make sure that he was never poisoned in addition to their other duties as cupbearer and baker. And according to verses 1 and 2 of the passage that I read, they had done something to offend the king of Egypt, something terrible. And so he had thrown them in prison, and uh, here they are settled right there in the same cell or nearby as Joseph. And Joseph, it says in verse 4, is assigned to be these two men's attendant. Well, one night, each of the two men have a dream. And they're very unsettled when they wake up the next morning by the dreams that they had. In verses 12 through 19, Joseph interprets these dreams for these two men. And what Joseph said would happen, did happen. Three days later, on Pharaoh's birthday, the king released the cupbearer. He set him free from prison and the man was restored to his previous position. But on the other hand, the baker was taken from prison and immediately executed. He was put to death. But here's the part of the story that we're going to talk about this morning. Notice with me, please, verses 14 and 15. In those two verses, Joseph says to the, uh, to the chief cupbearer, the one who was released from prison and restored to his position, he says to him there, listen, friend, when you get out of here, Remember me to the king. Remember me. Show me kindness. And that word is the Hebrew word chesed that we saw last week means grace. Show me grace. Show me mercy. He says, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Because I'm not guilty, he says. I've done nothing to deserve being here in this dungeon. Can't you just imagine this scene? Joseph knows the cupbearer is going out to freedom. He's going back out to the world. He's going to be with Pharaoh, the king, the one who has the power to get Joseph out of jail. And he says, please, please, I've been here eight years, nine, maybe ten years. Would you please mention me to the king? Tell him I'm not here because I'm guilty. I'm here on a false charge. Let him set me free. And then tragedy of tragedies. Verse 23, the last verse of the chapter, says that the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Think of how Joseph had his hopes up high. It would be two more years before Joseph ever gets out. You'll find that out next week if you come back. Two more years. There he is in jail, wondering, waiting. Every day goes by. Did he tell him? I wonder if the king is going to let me out today, maybe next week. And as the days go by into weeks and into months and into years, Joseph faces the reality of disappointment. So what do you do with it? Well, let me talk with you this morning 
from this chapter and many other places in the Bible about what to do with disappointment. And if you were here last week, I mentioned a phrase that some of you have heard. The phrase goes something like this, that God takes sand and turns them into pearls. He takes our disappointments and turns them into blessings. Well, the word pearls is going to be an acrostic this morning. I'm going to take the six letters of the word pearls. Now, look, I know this is kind of a cutesy thing to do, but I don't do this very often, do I? So you'll forgive me today if I take a word and construct a sermon outline on it. We're going to take the word pearls, and hopefully it'll be a good way for you to remember what you can do when you're disappointed. The letter P stands for pray. Pray your disappointment back to God. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. And, you know, if you read through the Bible, you come across the book of Psalms. It's right in the, about in the middle of the Bible. If you've read many of the Psalms, you know what many of them are. They are prayers expressing disappointment to God. Some people have called them laments. For example, let me read you a few, a few excerpts. From Psalm 43, it says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Do you hear that disappointment coming out from the psalmist? He's praying his disappointment to God. Psalm 74, he says, Why have you rejected us forever, O God? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? We are given no miraculous signs. No prophets are left. And none of us knows how long this will be. You can really hear Joseph's disappointment sort of in there. Psalm 88 says, O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you, for my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Can you believe that's in the Bible? Psalm 88 ends with no evidence of hope at all. Because this man is crying out out of the heart of his disappointment to a God whom he knows is listening and understands. These people, these excerpts that I read from Psalms, what are they doing? They're praying their disappointment. Do you do that? Or do you stuff it? You know, a lot of us Christians are good stuffers. I want you to know it is not sinful to pray your disappointment. It's sinful to stuff it. Because what you're doing is you're ignoring God and trying to live independently of Him. When you stuff your disappointments, here's what happens. You're either going to get depressed or you're going to get angry. But when you pray your disappointment... You find strength in the Lord. P stands for pray your disappointment. The letter E stands for expect it. Expect to be disappointed. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised when you're disappointed. It's part of life in a fallen world. You know, you know Murphy's Law, right? Somebody know Murphy's Law? 
It says if anything could go wrong, it will. Well, long before Murphy came up with that law, the Bible talked about the same exact thing. And the Bible calls it the curse. You find it in Genesis chapter 3 where God says to Adam, who had sinned against him, he says, Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you you will eat of it all the days of your life. It's going to produce thorns and thistles for you. You know what God was saying there to Adam and to Eve? Things don't cooperate anymore. Tires go flat. Kids get sick. Cats throw up on the carpet. Grandkids take a full plate of food and scrape it off onto the floor. Checks bounce. Oil rigs explode in the gulf. Planes crash. And worse. And you know what else? People make mistakes. That's another part of the curse. People make mistakes. I was uh, at an installation service for a new pastor one time. And I was really struck favorably by what he said at the end of the service. As he spoke to his new congregation, you know what he said? He said, I will fail you. Count on it. That's actually a very realistic take on the human race. We will fail each other. So you're going to be disappointed. Expect it. And when you are disappointed, it won't be so bad. Pray. Expect. And third, the letter A stands for adapt to it. Adapt to your disappointment. I read about a teenage Hawaiian surfer by the name of Bethany Hamilton. You ever heard about her story? She had her arm bitten off by a 1,500-pound shark. Do you know what she said after that experience? Here's her quotation. She said, this was God's plan for my life, and I'm going to go with it. What a great outlook. This was God's plan for my life, and I'm going to go with it. And three months later, she was back surfing competitively. She adapted to God's plan rather than expecting God to to, to, uh, adapt to her plan. It's a big difference. How many of us expect God to adapt to our plans instead of adapting ourselves to his Joseph, I'm I'm thinking about Joseph again. He had to adapt to his disappointment. He had to based on the life we see that he lived. Look, he didn't go looking for Egypt. He was taken there against his will. He was sold into slavery, accused of raping a woman, confined in a prison. Yet what do we find when we read his story? He maintained his composure He didn't fight back. He didn't get bitter and angry. He kept his work ethic in place. He was a blessing to everybody around him. He was even concerned about other people. Did you notice verses 6 and 7? These two verses kind of of jumped out at me because those two verses say that when Joseph came to the cupbearer and the baker the next morning, the next morning after they had their dreams, look at what it says. He saw that they were dejected. So he asked them, why are your faces so sad today? Here's this guy who's suffering, who's majorly disappointed, but he's aware of the needs and the feelings of other people around him. He hasn't just isolated himself in this little basket of self-pity, but rather he's looking around him and he's aware of what other people are experiencing. Why are you so sad today? 
How could Joseph do that? It's because he believed in a sovereign God. He believed in a sovereign God. How do we know that? Well, when the cupbearer and the baker had their dreams, notice what Joseph says about dreams in verse 8. He says, don't interpretations belong to God? See, Joseph had this God-centered worldview that says that God foreordains whatsoever comes to pass. God knows the end from the beginning. He gives these dreams to these two guys, and he even knows the interpretations of the dreams. God is sovereign. I've been reading about the life of a man by the name of Adoniram Adoniram Judson. You ever heard of Adoniram Judson? Famous Baptist missionary back in the uh, 1800s. In fact, he was America's first foreign missionary. He and his wife of just 17 months went to uh, Burma, modern-day Myanmar, right? He went to Burma in 1813 when they were just 23, 24 years old. After six years of labor, you know how many uh, you know how many converts Judson had? Six years of labor, one convert. Burma was a hostile place. It was untouched by the gospel. Unreached people lived there, but Judson persevered. And for the rest of his life, Adoniram Judson would endure 108 degree heat, cholera, malaria, dysentery, and a lot of other miseries. Two of Judson's wives, he actually married three women, one after another. Two of them died. Seven of his 13 children died before him. He lived there 38 years until he died at age 81, 61 rather, with just one trip home to America after 33 years. Before his death in 1850, he translated the entire Bible into Burmese. He also wrote a dictionary that would be later used by all the missionaries that came to Burma and Myanmar after him. Today there are close to about 3,700 Baptist congregations that trace their lineage back to Adoniram Judson. How did he do it? Well, this is what he himself said later. He said, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered, notice that word, ordered, by infinite love and mercy... I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Adoniram Judson was a man who believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed that God was in control. He ordered in love the sufferings that he endured. See, God's never surprised by what Joseph went through, by what you're going through right now. God is working according to a good and wise plan. It says in Ephesians 1.11 that he works everything. Not some things, not most things, not good things. God works everything according to a good purpose of his will. If you know this and if you believe this, you can live with an incredible peace and an incredible joy no matter what happens to you. You can adapt to disappointment. Pray, expect, adapt to your disappointment. Fourthly, rejoice in it. Rejoice in your disappointment. Now, I know what you're saying right now. Come on. Give me a break. Rejoice in what I'm going through right now. Rejoice in this thing that God has brought my way. How can I do that? Look, let's change our definition of rejoice, okay? Rejoice does not mean grin and bear it. Rejoice does not mean paste on a smile and say, I love suffering. 
That's not what rejoice means. It means to have a restful confidence in God, no matter what happens. To rejoice in something means to have a restful confidence in God, no matter what happens. And that's why Paul can say in Philippians 4.4, while he's in prison, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. You can have a restful confidence in spite of your circumstances. I'm going to put her on the spot. Is Ellie here today? Ellie DeSant. I don't see her this morning. A few weeks ago, our dear sister, spiritual mom, Ellie DeSant, had a little fall outside of the education building. She fell and fell right on her face, broke her glasses, bruised her head, deep cut, needed stitches, went to the emergency room. I went over there to the emergency room. Uh, Others were there as well. And I was standing beside Ellie. She was smiling and she apologized for being there. And she said, Mike, I'm so sorry that you have to come and visit me. And when the nurses came in, she thanked them. She was a picture of rejoicing, even in the midst of trial. What a dear lady she is. Romans chapter 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So when you're disappointed, you pray it, you expect it, you rejoice in it, you adapt to it. And fifth, you listen to it. Listen to it. That's what the letter L stands for. I was thinking that disappointment is like the check engine light on your car's dashboard. Your check engine light comes on. What does it say? It indicates that something is wrong internally. When you're disappointed, it's like the check engine light. And it's alerting you to the fact that something may be wrong internally. And you know what we should do when we feel disappointed? We should begin to ask ourselves questions like this. Why am I disappointed right now? Why am I upset? Why am I mad at this situation? What idol might I be harboring in my heart? And disappointment is like telling me to repent of my idol. I remember back about, oh, 15 years ago, I was looking around for another job. I was tired of my ministry up in South Carolina. I thought there's probably something better out there. And I noticed there was an opening at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You know the name D. James Kennedy? He was the pastor there before his death. They were looking for an associate pastor. My heart leaped at that opportunity. I sent off my resume. I got a call back. They said, we want to talk to you. I flew down with my wife. They put us up in this hotel. I, I went into D. James Kennedy's office, sat down with him. He interviewed me. My heart began to hunger for this thing. But then in the plane coming back, Susie and I looked at each other and we said, you know, the whole thing just felt wrong. But my heart sank. I was disappointed that it felt wrong. 
And as I looked at that experience later, looked at my heart, checked the check engine light out a little further, you know what I discovered? I discovered that I was disappointed because I wanted a little more glory than I had. I wanted to be known as a guy who works with D. James Kennedy. Wouldn't that be cool? I was ambitious. I wanted a little more money as well. All of those things, all of those idols were in my heart. And the disappointment was a revelation to me of the fact that I was harboring these things in my heart. I said no, and I'm so glad I did. But I learned a lot about myself through that experience. See, if you put, here's the deal. If you put your ultimate hope and if you find your ultimate joy in something other than Jesus, for example, your work or being fit and healthy or being popular or having the perfect family or being successful or finding the right guy or the right girl or something like that, if those things are where you find your ultimate joy and your ultimate hope, you're never, ever going to be satisfied. Never. And one of, the, one of three things is going to happen if that's, where, if that's where your joy is. One of three things is going to happen. You're either going to spend your life running from this thing to that thing to try to find happiness, or you'll hate yourself for never being happy, or you'll get cynical and you'll get hardened about life and you'll give up hope that you'll ever find happiness. Or, or you can say to yourself, you know, self... If there's nothing in this world that will ever satisfy me, then I must have been made for something better than this or that thing. I must have been made for a different world. I must have been made for relationship with God. This morning, as you look at your heart, what are you hungering after? What do you love? What do you want? If it's something beside Jesus, you're never going to be satisfied by that thing. And it's a signal to you. Listen to it. Listen to it. It's telling you that you're made for a relationship with God. Go after Jesus. So pray your your disappointment. Expect it. Adapt to it. Rejoice in it. Listen to it. And finally, the letter S stands for sweeten. Sweeten it. Sweeten your disappointment by what? Preaching the gospel to yourself. Sweeten your disappointment by preaching the gospel to yourself. I was struck in this text this morning by the word remember. The word remember, look at verse uh, verse 14. Verse 14, is this is where we started today. This is where Joseph says to the cupbearer, the man who's getting ready to go out into his freedom, he says, when all goes well with you, Mr. Cupbearer, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. See the word remember? And then in verse 23, the end of the chapter, the chief cupbearer did not, what? Remember Joseph? He forgot him? The word remember, it means to conjure up an image in the mind. It means to recall or to bring something or someone to the forefront of your awareness. It means originally the word remember meant to again be mindful of. That's what remember means. Can you think of a place in the New Testament where somebody said to Jesus, remember me? Jesus was hanging on the cross and right next to him was one of the thieves, the thief who believed in him and who needed him. 
And that thief looked over to Jesus and said, Jesus, bring me to awareness when you come into your kingdom. Recall me. Be mindful of me. Jesus, will you mention me when you come into your kingdom? We all want to be remembered, don't we? We all want to be mentioned. Not a one in here this morning wants to be forgotten. And do you know what Jesus said to that believing thief? He said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't forget him. And he's not going to forget you either. In fact, Jesus mentions you to the Father every day if you're trusting in him. Take a look at Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. It's on the screen. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraven you on the palms of my hands. The woman I told you about at the beginning, the woman whose high school sweetheart went off to Brazil, the woman who got the letter in the mail that said, I'm not interested in you. A few years later, I fell in love with her and I put a ring on her finger and I said to that woman, the same woman I live with today, that I, Mike, take you, Susie, to be my wedded wife and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health as long as we both shall live. Do you know what God says to you on the cross? I'll never forget you. See, I've engraven you on the palms of my hands. What are you facing today? Disappointment, yeah. It may last your lifetime. I'm not going to kid you. It may last your whole lifetime. But God will be with you the whole way through. And he's not going to move. Let's pray. Think about what we've learned this morning. Think about prayer. Think about expecting disappointment and adapting to it, rejoicing in it. Think about listening to it and sweetening it with the gospel. Which one of those, which ones of those particularly hit home today? Lord Jesus, we thank you that in the midst of our disappointment, our names are upon your hands. So, Lord, would you help us to not waste our disappointment? Turn it into pearls for us, Lord. And help us to keep going, help us to keep walking as Joseph did. And to keep remembering that you'll never forget us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.